you guys hear me? I never know if this thing works or not. You hear me? Okay, good. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Psalm 40. Psalm 40. Uh, we're going to look at a few verses right here. Thank you, Brother Michael, for taking care of the prayer bulletin. If you'll notice that uh, Brother Bo's up here, Brother Michael's up here, I'm up here. Uh, it just goes to show they'll let any clown run the circus. So, uh, And I'm going to let you figure out who the clowns are. So no offense, Brother Bo. Uh, do be in prayer for our pastor and, and all of the work that's being done out there at the teen camp. Uh, we were out there Monday night and Tuesday night, and uh, it's very hot. If you've been outside for any length of time today, even if it's been five minutes, you know it's very, very hot. So, um, And I've also been pressed to be finished by 751. Brother Micah told me whenever he preached a couple of weeks ago that he finished by 751. So uh, we know how time conscious we are. So. We'll do our best to be finished by then. But, but in all seriousness, uh, the Lord put a message on my heart tonight, and um, I wavered back and forth with it. I, I wasn't sure what I was going to preach up until about 4 o'clock this afternoon, and the Lord gave me peace about it. And so if you're, if you're there in Psalm 40, verse 1, uh, go ahead and stand. We'll stand for the, the reading of God's word. Psalm 40, verse 1, we'll start there, and, and we'll go to about verse 5. David writes, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear, and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man that maketh the Lord his trust, and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord, my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word tonight. I, I pray that your word will go out and be well received, Father. And you've ordained preachers to preach the gospel and, and your word, Lord. And it would be foolish of me tonight to preach without the power of the Holy Spirit. So I pray that you'll give me the words to say, that hearts will be receptive and willing to receive it, and that we'll be stirred in our hearts and minds to do more for you. Thank you for all you're going to do in the service tonight, for it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Yeah, sorry about that. You may be seated. Um, we've, all, we've all been dirty at some point in our lives. Um, I, was, I was talking with Brother Dylan Chisholm earlier today uh, at the gym, and we were outside for about literally five minutes. We were out, okay, let me put it this way. We were outside of air conditioner for about five minutes. And it was extremely hot. And I think if you've walked from your car to work or from work to your car, from your car to your house, you probably sweated today at some point. Well, today was no exception for me. We were talking about some things around the property. And I couldn't help but to think, this is ridiculous. I'm hot. I'm sweaty. And I probably started to smell bad, too. And I kept trying to get away from Dylan. He's not here tonight, so I can kind of tell this. Um, I kept trying to get away from Brother Dylan because I wanted to get back in the air conditioner. All right? It's too hot to be playing around outside. And he had beads of sweat all over him. And, and I started to develop sweat. Now, granted, he's doing work outside a lot. And, and I'm doing a lot of work inside. So I'm trying to get away from him. And if you've ever worked hard, you've, you've gotten sweaty before. You've gotten dirty. And depending on what you do, if you're a carpenter or a roofer, you have ex gotten extremely hot and extremely dirty. Well, if you're a plumber, the same thing applies. And if you're an electrician, a mechanic, whatever it is that you do in your, in your life, you've gotten dirty at some point. I've watched Braden, after basketball practice, be soaked from head to toe. 
uh, volleyball players as well. Kaylee, and, and I, she's not here, so I can talk badly about her too. She's really sweaty and smelly, and we'll get in the car. And Anyway, we, we've all been dirty at some point. And look, I was so dirty whenever I was younger that my mom forced me to stay outside to drink the water out of the water hose. And if, you, if you've ever done that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That first gush of water is extremely hot, and it smells like rubber. But surprisingly, I survived, and my mom didn't want me to bring the dirt inside. She didn't want me to bring a mess inside, and so she left me outside to play in the heat and to get dirty. But you know, our spiritual lives are, are much the same way. We're born dirty, and really, even, even until the point we come to know the Lord as our personal Savior, we, we are dirty at that point, but then the Lord can cleanse us. And even after we come to know the Lord, there is still a cleansing that has to take place. We, we have to let the Lord clean us up. And, and I'm thankful tonight to follow a God who can do that. The Lord cleaned me up, no doubt. The Lord, the Lord established my goings. He put me on a solid rock. And if he can do it for me, he can do it for you. And I'm so thankful to follow a God tonight who, who, can, who can take care of us. I had the opportunity probably about, I don't know, now a couple of months ago to speak in Brother Michael's Bible class. He asked me to speak to the ninth through the 12th grade. And uh, if any of you know my past, you know that I, I have uh, an addiction problem in the past. And um, so he, he asked me to talk a little bit about that, how the Lord was able to, to, to deliver me from that. And I couldn't help but to turn to Psalm 40 when I did. Um, the Lord put it on my heart, and, and, and it's something that I've been, I've been praying about and meditating about since then. And Psalm 40 came to mind, and Psalm 40 is exactly how I feel about the Lord and what he's done in my life. And part of the, the, the introduction to this is, uh, this is to me, Psalm 40 is a, is a psalm of repentance, it's also considered to be a psalm of praise, but I even look at Psalm 40 as though it's a psalm of love, that is God's love letter to us. Now, the Bible itself is God's love letter to us, but when I look at Psalm 40 in particular, I can't help but to see what God has done for me and, and what he can do for you as well. And since it is a psalm of repentance, we see David recognizing that he's in a pit, and we see David recognizing that he's got to get out of this pit. And we know that a pit can be dirty and that a pit can be difficult to get out of, especially if you try to do it on your own. David had suffered many downfalls in his life, and we know, we know most of them. I mean, he had Uriah killed, and he had uh, some issues with Bathsheba there. And <clears throat> these are just some of the major things that we can point at in David's life to see that David had some major downfalls. But oftentimes we neglect the smaller downfalls. We neglect the anger that we have. We neglect the pride that we exhibit. We, we neglect the rebellion that we exude. And those are still major issues in God's eyes, and they're still something that separate us from God. And obviously, he had anger, and obviously, David had pride, and, and obviously, he had uh, some issues that had to be sorted out. And, and you see, all of us have been in this same pit at, at one point in our lives. Everybody in here was born in this pit. And I fear tonight that even though we're saved and we're pulled out of this pit, from time to time we fall back into it. We do. We just go backwards, and sometimes it's our fault. Sometimes it is our negligence that causes us to fall back into this pit. But we see that time and time again David would sin, but yet David was a man after God's own heart. 
And, and, and I see an amazing picture here. I really do. And I often wonder, how could this even be? How could, how could God favor David so much? And when I read this, I can't help but to think that's me. I'm David. When I read this, I put myself in the place of David. I also was in that horrible pit. I was also in miry clay. And I was crying out to God, please save me, God. And God, in all his faithfulness, inclined unto me. He heard me. He leaned in and he was listening to me. And I, I, think, I think that's important tonight as, as the message develops. I can't help but to think about God and who he is and, and what he is. I can't help but to think about the care that God has shown us through his word and the stories of saints in the past and what to do and what not to do. And I can't help but to think there's so many people in society today who are chasing after false gods. You see, we worship a God that is alive. And I, and I know this for a fact. This is in my heart. This is something that I have experienced personally through his word and through convictions and through prayer. And, but yet there are people out there who do not follow the one true God. We have, I think about the Buddhists. Buddha himself was cremated. He's presently in an urn of some sort in the country of India. He's dead. Buddha doesn't, doesn't live. He's not alive. Therefore, he can't really do anything for you. Now, hopefully I'm not speaking to any Buddhists tonight. I'm just setting the stage. Buddha is dead. If you go to the grave of Confucius in China, he's there. Confucius is there. Now, I don't know what all Confucianisms, whatever they are called, I don't know what all they believe. And I'm not trying to mock them. I'm just saying Confucius is in the grave. And if I, if, I, if I think about Islam, one of the largest, I think it is the second largest religion in, in the world, when I think about Muhammad, he's in a tomb somewhere in Medina, Saudi Arabia. He's there with 100,000 other prophets. And the thing is, he's there in the grave. He's, he's there. He can't do anything for people, yet uh, two and a half billion people around the world are focused on Muhammad. And I can't help but to lament that because whenever I go to the garden tomb, I see it empty. And I see a risen Savior. And because I see a risen Savior, and y'all, look, I'm just going to be honest. <laughs> whenever I gave my testimony to the teens uh, a couple of months ago, I got extremely emotional. So I'm going to try not to get emotional because I know the power of a risen Savior. And what I see is... I see some characteristics of God in Psalm 40. And what I see is, in particular, I see four characteristics of a caring God in Psalm 40. And that's the title of tonight's message, Four Characteristics of a Caring God. And we're going to find these in Psalm 40. Now, I could have easily, we could have easily spent the next 30 minutes or so talking about the characteristics of God because they're numerous. I don't have the time to go through every one and explain what it is and apply it to your life. So we, we narrowed it down to four. And, I, and I'm so thankful for these four characteristics of a caring God because I, I worry about society. I worry about people. I mean, after all, we're called to preach the gospel, the good news. And there is no good news about a tomb that's full of people. And I'm so thankful tonight to have a caring God. But the first characteristic of a caring God that I want you to see out of Psalm 40 is his knowledge. I, I marvel at this, guys. I, I promise I do. I can't help but to think 
when I read verses 1 and 2, that God knows me. God knows me. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me, meaning he leaned in. And when he leaned in, he heard me cry. He heard my plea. He heard me beg, God, please help me. And the only reason that he was able to do that was because he knew me. He knows me. And that, <laughs> that's kind of a scary thought if you really think about it. Some of you know me. Most of you know me. But you don't know me like God knows me. Okay? I can put on a front. I can smile in your face and pretend like everything's okay, but I can't do that to God. And I think about my relationship with my wife. She probably knows me more than anybody in this room. And uh, I'm sorry about that, by the way. <laughs> uh, but she knows me more than anybody else in this room, and even she doesn't know me like God knows me. You see, God knows my heart. He knows how depraved it is. He knows how desperately wicked it is. He knows my thoughts. I'm so thankful that I don't have a billboard above my head displaying my thoughts. I'd be in trouble. I would be in trouble. Y'all would know me a lot better if I had a, a display board above my head. But, you know, it, whether I think it, whether I say it, whether I do it, God knows it. And God knows me. He knows me, and he knows me more than anybody else. So on one level, I'm very, I'm very scared about that. God knows who I truly am. But then on another level, I marvel at that because there are over 7 billion people. I think it's 8 billion people now. I don't know. I've lost track. It's a lot of people. 8 billion people on earth today. And he knows me. He knows me personally. And I can have that relationship with him because of Jesus Christ. And I'm so thankful for that. There are an innumerable amount of stars. There are probably 250 million times 250 million stars. And God placed each one specifically where they are today. And I don't think that's by mistake. I don't think it just happened. This is of the Lord. But yet, despite all of that, he has taken the time to get to know me. And I, I see this in verses 1 and 2. He inclined unto me and heard my cry, and then he brought me up also out of an horrible pit. He knows me, and he wants to have a relationship with me. And, and we see that in Scripture. We see that bared out in Scripture all the time. Um. How many of you here tonight like documentaries, uh, uh, maybe Unsolved Mysteries? Anybody here like Unsolved Mysteries? A few people, okay. I watch Unsolved Mysteries all the time. You see, I don't have, I don't have regular TV necessarily, and Sarah really gets mad at me for this. I'll come in from the house, to the house sometimes, and I'll turn on Pluto TV, and I'll put it on Unsolved Mysteries. And I just I watch Unsolved Mysteries on loop. I've watched the same episodes 30 times. I can tell you what's about to happen, you know. I, and I don't know if maybe that's a bad characteristic to have, so don't hold it against me. Some of you who like watching serial killer documentaries, I got my eye on you. But Unsolved Mysteries, to my, to my understanding, is really not that bad. But I can't help but to think about a guy named Tyler on Unsolved Mysteries. Tyler was someone who in early 1990 was found wandering in the desert. I don't know if anybody's ever seen that episode or not. But Tyler was found wandering in the desert. Thirsty, disheveled, dirty, obviously, confused, disoriented, had no idea what was going on in his life. And when he was found, he didn't even know his name, so the people who found him just called him Tyler. So Unsolved Mysteries aired that episode, I think it was January of 1990. Then they re-aired the episode in August of 1990, and within minutes, there was a call to the call center, and it was his dad. His dad had seen Tyler on TV and was like, that, that's my son. I know that. That's my son. That's, that's not Tyler. That's Paul Arthur Bill. 
which was his real name, by the way. So come to find out, he had suffered from momentary amnesia. His mom and his dad, I think it was his mom, actually flew all the way to where he was and actually met him at the airport. And you could just see the gleam or whatever in, in Paul, Paul's eyes. He had no clue who his mom was. Of course, he didn't know anybody. He didn't know anything because he had amnesia, all right? So as the show progressed, comes to find out Tyler, uh, also known as Paul, was on the lam. He had, in the midst of those eight months of not knowing who he was, he had robbed a meat truck. Which if you're going to rob something, that's okay. That's probably forgivable as far as I'm concerned. But he had robbed a meat truck. And he was wanted in Portland, I think it was. And, uh, I mean, his, his story goes from Portland and Nevada to Kansas City, Missouri. I mean, the guy was all over the place. But he didn't recognize anybody in his family. And come to find out, and the, the inference being that Paul was on the lam and he knew that he was wanted for doing something wrong, so he faked having amnesia, didn't recognize his mom or his dad, and in other words, I don't know anybody from my former life. How can I be held accountable for all the things that I've done if, if I don't know what I've done? I don't know. Who is this Paul? Anyway, so they, they kind of suspected that, that Paul might be faking it a little bit, but make no mistake about it, our Heavenly Father, you can't run from him and you can't fake you can't fake anything with him because he knows who you are. And I, I really believe that that's applicable in the Christian life. I have to ask you tonight, are you running from something? Because if you're running from something, good luck. Because God knows your intention. And God is wanting you to come back. He's inclining unto you right now. He's listening for your cry. He's waiting for you because he cares about you. And it may be scary to think about that he knows you and he knows what you're doing but there's good news, and that's the second thing. Not only does he know you, which can be scary in and of itself, but beyond that, what I see in verses 1 and 2 is he loves you. He loves you, and he loves me. And listen, it's going to take me an eternity to wrap my head around his love. I, I don't understand it. I can't comprehend it. I can't explain it. I can't. I can't put it into enough words what his love has meant to me in my life. And just like David is showing us here in Psalm 40, God loves us. He loves you. And I, I just, I, I need a lifetime, really. I need a lifetime, really, to get over this because I, I just don't know. It, and it amazes me. He knows me, but he still loves me. He loves me despite myself. Listen, I've done enough things to the Lord for him to easily say, stay down in the pit. Stay there. Look what you've done to me. I don't have time to deal with your shenanigans. Look at what you've done to me. But because he loves us, he's offered a way out of the pit. He has shown us his love, obviously through Jesus Christ, his son. And I, I, I just need, I need a lifetime to get through that. And I see this in verse 2, because when, when I was at my lowest in my life, when I, when I look back at it, when I was suffering through the things that I was suffering through, I saw God's love. I, listen, I would come to church, and I would just be watered. I was thirsty. I was so thirsty. I would be watered just by listening to, to what God had, what the Holy Spirit had given the preacher. And I began to, I began to see a, a picture unfold that 
God loves me despite myself. And I, I just, I can't get over that. I, I really wish that I could. Actually, no, I don't. I'm so thankful for it. And I can't help but to think that greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. And I see that. I see that here in Psalm 40. I see God's knowledge. He knows me so well. And I see that he loves me as well. I, I can't help but to think that everything God does has me in mind. I don't deserve that. I don't deserve the blessings that God's given me or the riches in my life. And I'm not talking about materialistic things, okay? That stuff's fleeting. It, it will have moths attack it. It will have rust build up on it. I'm talking about a genuine love. Not a love of things, but a love of the Lord. I can't help but to think everything God has done has had me in mind. I don't deserve that kind of love. And what bothers me is there are people out there who have a perverted version of God's love. We see in the world today, people say God is love. Look, I don't disagree that God's love. God is love. But they love to leave out the other attributes and characteristics of God. They'll say, God is love, so don't judge me. Okay? I, I can't judge you. I can't send you to hell. I, I, I <laughs> and I know some of us are thinking that's probably good because I'd be on my way if you had control over it. But none of us can do that. So therefore, we can't judge, and we're not judging. We are called to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Right? You know, rebuking is difficult. Reproving is difficult. But we are called to call out things that are unjust. So not only is God not just love, he's just. God is just. He's merciful. <laughs> praise, praise him that he is. He's merciful and he's gracious. All right? He's put up with a lot from his people. And I'm thankful that he does because, like I said, we'd be smitten the first indiscretion. Every, none of us would have made it past the first few minutes of our lives because we're born dirty. We're born in the pit. But the world will take God's love and they'll pervert it and make it seem like it's okay to live a certain lifestyle. It's not. While God is love, he also demands for us to live righteously. So don't take this notion that the world offers that God is love and then leave it at that. Because God is love, there's no doubt about it. But don't confuse what God is and his love versus what he wants from us. I, I watched the video um, not too terribly long ago. It was a video, um, and I don't do this very often, but I've found myself doing this more. I, I'll scroll through Instagram or Facebook or whatever and watch those little videos. Most of the time I'm watching it on silent because I'm worried there's about to be something bad to get said. If I glean that it might not be vulgar, then I'm like, okay, I'm going to watch this. Well, the, 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 as soon as the video started, it was on silent, and there was a dude with a Baphomet hat. And if you know anything about Satanism, Baphomet's the devil's hat, whatever. And there was a guy, and the captions was talking about how God's love, the guy was basically giving the gospel. So I was like, okay, chances are this isn't going to be vulgar, and I've got to see what old Baphomet head's got to say. So... I watched the video, and this whole time, this guy who was giving the gospel, at least it sounded like he was giving the gospel, he was talking about God's love, that Jesus loves you. And, and may, once again, make no mistake, Jesus does love us so much so that he died for us, even though we're who we are. But I couldn't help but to, to smile as the guy was piling on to the Satanist about God's love. And the Satanist, and listen, this whole thing may have been staged. I have no clue. I have no clue. It doesn't change the, the principle of the video, though. 
the guy is standing there listening to him give him the gospel. And the whole time, the, the Baphomet head guy is just sitting there watching. And before the video was over with, the guy who was giving the gospel asked if he could hug the guy who was the Satanist. And surprisingly, the Satanist said yes. So the guy hugged him, and it dawned on me. I'm thinking, that could be the first time that that guy has ever been loved on. And listen, that's what we're called to do in the ministry, is to love on people. Yes, we should 100% love on people, even if they're Satanists, okay? Because obviously Satan's not going to pull you out of a horrible pit. He's going to drag you down further. And it dawned on me, what, what an amazing story. What an amazing story. And I don't know if the guy actually got saved, but before the video is over with, the guy giving the gospel asked if he could pray with the Satanist, and the Satanist said yes. And I, I can't help but to think that there's power in this, this transformation and in, in in, in the life of, or the, the love of God. And it, it just, it boggles my mind that God would love me so much. And then I see in Luke chapter 15, verse 20, you don't have to turn your Bibles there. I, I'll turn there. But in, in Luke 14, uh, 15, verse 20, you know the story. It's the, the prodigal son, and you know that there were two of them, and one of them wasted his money on riotous living, and he went far away from the father, and he got off into sin and realized that he was in sin, and then he comes back to the father. But I saw something in verse 20 that I, I couldn't help but to smile about. And what I see in, in verse 20 is, and he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, and he had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. What I see in this in the prodigal son is the father knew his son. He knew his son. Matter of fact, he knew him so well that from a distance he recognized him. Hey, that's my son. That's my son. I know him. He's, he's, he's coming back to me. I see him. And, and, and no doubt, if I'm, if I'm that father, I'm, I'm, I'm elated. I can't believe it. My son, who has strayed so far from me, is coming back. And listen, it doesn't stop there. The father saw the son. And then right at the end, he had compassion on him. He had love for him. So we see in the prodigal son, there was, not, there was not only knowledge, that's my son, but there was love involved in there as well. But what's even greater than that to me, if it can even possibly be greater than that, whenever I see this prodigal son, I see the knowledge the father has of the son, I see the love that the father has for the son, but then I see the third point. I see the father directing the son, his direction, this is the third characteristic of a caring God. I see God's direction because the father is seeing his son from a distance. He's telling him, this is the way. Come back this way. If he didn't go meet his son, who knows where his son might have ended up? Anywhere. I mean, it could have been anywhere. It could have been right back into the pit. But because his dad, his father, was directing him, come this way. Follow me back to the house, and we're going to have a party. We're going, to be, we're going to celebrate your return. I can't help but to think this is a characteristic of God. And I see this in verse 2. I see where, I see where David, if, you, if you're not in Psalm 40, you go back. I see in verse 2 where David says, and established my goings. That is direction. He established my goings. And look, I'm so thankful that he does this because if he didn't, I'd be left, I'd be wandering aimlessly. And I, I've said this before, and I have no doubt that it's true. If 
I'm left to my own direction, I'm going to go right back into the pit. And, and to be honest, there are only two directions we're going as Christians and lost. If you're a Christian today, there are only two directions. You're either going towards God or away from God. That's the direction. That's the direction. And th- you may say, well, no, I can just stand still. You might as well be going away from God. We're supposed to be cr- progressing in this Christian life, and I- I'm so glad that I-, I have direction from God. I mean, Moses had direction from God. He- Moses told, you know, him, told the Is- Israelites how to get out of Egypt. Took them forever. <laughs> and that's a whole other story, but they left Egypt. Thank the Lord. I see Abraham leaving the Ur of Chaldees. He had it made there. And God told him, hey, get out of there. You're going to go to a place that I'm going to tell you about later. And Abraham, Abraham's like, okay. Abram's like, sure, let's do it. That took a lot of faith. I'm thankful for, her, for his direction there. We see Samuel anointing David in 1 uh, Samuel chapter 16. He didn't, even, he didn't even have a chance to start uh, really getting good with the anointing. And then he started asking questions. What's Jesse going to think? What's Saul going to think? What are the seven brothers going to think? Instead, Samuel just let God direct him. David becomes king. And then the rest is Israel's history. So we see examples of God's direction. And God has made a way for all of us in our lives, just like he did the saints of old. This isn't just some fairy tale. This is real stuff. God directed Moses. God directed Abraham. God directed Samuel. And I'm so thankful for that. Not only does God know us, love us, and direct us, but he's done this fourth characteristic, and that is his provision. Listen, the Lord knows us, and he loves us, and he's going to direct his children, just like the prodigal son. But not only is he going to direct you, it doesn't stop there. There's blessing, and this is not a Joel Osteen thing by any stretch of the imagination, so I don't want you to think I'm talking about prosperity here in the sense of material wealth. Not that there's anything wrong with that. What I'm talking about is something sustainable, his provision. I see in verse number two that he provides a way out. He set my feet upon a rock. (laughs) Listen, I can't help but to smile about that. He set my feet on a rock, something stable, something hard, something solid. Not something temporal, not something prone to dissipate with time. I mean, as far as I know, rocks don't go away unless you throw them in the ocean. They're still there. But a rock is solid. He gives us things that we need. And listen, we need a lot. I'm so thankful for God's provision in my life. And I'm joint heirs with Jesus. Anything that Jesus can have, I can have on, on earth. Let me say that. I can't sit in his throne, but... Whatever I need in my spiritual walk, the Lord can provide it. And I see examples of God's provision in the Bible as well. Speaking of the Israelites, they were provided manna. They didn't go hungry. They complained a lot, right? I mean, they they were thirsty and they were hungry. We've all done that. Daddy, are we there yet? You know know how that goes. I see a pillar of cloud by day and, and a pillar of fire by night. That's 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 not only not only is that provision, that's still direction too. I see direction in those pillars, and I see provision. I see him guiding, too. Like, look, this is the way, my children. It took him 40 years, right? It took him 40 years to wander, uh, wander around in the, in the wilderness when it really shouldn't have taken that long. But we do see God's provision in that. And we see it also again in Abraham when it comes to Isaac. <laughs> Abraham was told by God, take Isaac up to Moriah, and give him to me. 
And without hesitation, Abraham's like, all right, come on, Isaac, we're going up to the mountain. No clue what was going to happen next, but he was faithful and obedient to follow that. And wouldn't you know it, because he was faithful and obedient, when he got there, God provided something other than Isaac. And listen, if that's not a picture of our salvation, I don't know what is. Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac. The father was willing to sacrifice the son. And incidentally, Moriah would end up, according to some theologians and historians, uh, Moriah would become Jerusalem. We see that play heavily into Jesus' life as well. So we see provision. And you may think, well, those are Old Testament saints. What about today? Listen, God provides for birds, okay? Matthew chapter 6, my wife would love that. She probably this might even be her favorite Bible verse. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 26, we see Jesus saying, hey, you're more important than birds. Matter of fact, I, you don't have to turn there, but he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 26, uh, are ye not much better than they? So if God's going to provide for birds who have no soul, by the way, I don't think, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, to, hear, I'm sorry to tell you that. I actually think birds are Chinese spy software. Um, I can't prove it. I'm working on that. But um, I, I see God's provision in that. If he's going to give something to the birds, he's going to give us so much more because we are much more than they are. So I, I'm so thankful for God's way in his life. Now, quickly, when we do have to move quickly. So we have seen tonight four characteristics of God. And I, wanna, I want to now turn our attention to if these are his characteristics, and they are, what is our response to those characteristics? How are we supposed to take this information and apply it to our lives? First, that I, I want to look at, and I didn't give them these notes because we're going to move through these really quickly. I have to ask you tonight, do we know him? He knows us. <laughs> he knows us, and he knows our ways. Do we know him? It's a valid question. He wants, to, he wants us to know him. Listen, there's great power in knowing God. And I'm not talking about just knowing of God. I'm talking about knowing God. In James chapter 2, verse 19, the Bible says the, de the, the devils believe. In, in other words, they know. And they tremble. So don't just know of God, know God. Now, you may ask, well, how can I do that? Well, you can read his word. Okay, but it doesn't stop there. You can study his word. It won't stop there either. You can meditate on his word. And in, if you want to really get to know him, do those three things. And what you're going to end up doing is learning how to uh, practice what you know. You will learn how to practice what you know. So not only do I have to ask tonight, do we know him, do we love him? Do we love him? And this is, it's a very valid question. Do we love him? Because, because the Bible says in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Uh-oh. Wait, what commandments? Well, we can see them in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And then we see the second one is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. Uh-oh. That becomes a challenge, doesn't it? So if you're going to love God like you should, then you have to love him with everything you have. Not just a piece of it. God doesn't want just your toenail. He wants the whole thing. And he wants you to love his people. And by the way, there are no uh, stipulations to that. You love them if they're Republican. You love them if they're Democrat. You love them, and that's it. You love them, and you try to get them out of their sin. Okay? You love them. Love them. So not only do I have to ask, do we love him, do we let him direct us? 
do we let him direct us? You see, I fear that a lot of us tonight say that we let God guide in our lives, but our actions show different. We'll take a shovel. <laughs> I'm going to get out of this pit, God. Don't worry about it. I'm on my way out. Pretty soon, the pit has gotten wider and deeper. And that's what happens in our lives whenever we don't let him direct us. So I have to ask you tonight, are you going to let him direct us? Because Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You, we don't know the best way forward. We don't. I, I wish I did because I like to consider myself intelligent. Listen, I would rather, I'd rather know absolutely nothing about the Bible and know Jesus than I had be full of knowledge in my head about God and not have it applied in my life. And, and I know that may sound kind of strange, but I have dealt with some people who can tell you what was provided at the Last Supper, but they don't know the Jesus who was at the Last Supper. And it's evident that they don't know that because of the way they live. And it's frustrating. I consider myself to be a novice when it comes to this. I consider myself to be ignorant. And I'd rather be ignorant of the Bible and all these facts. And I'm not saying they're not important. I'm saying, do you let him direct your life? Not only that, I have to ask, do you let him be your provider? Do you let him be your provider? And by the way, he is the only provider. The world will tell you there are other things that you can do in your life to attain salvation or blessings of God and things like that. No. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's it. So if you're not letting him, letting him direct you and not letting him provide for you, I would have to say you're probably in sin. So I have to ask you tonight, what can we learn about his characteristics? Well, he wants to know us. He wants to love us. He wants to direct us, and he even wants to provide for us. But, y'all, we have to let him. We have to let him. If we want to get out of this pit, if we want to be made clean, if we want to be made whole, he has to have the preeminence. Nothing else will work. Your job's not going to bring you satisfaction. If so, it's only temporal. Your bank account won't do it. If so, it's only temporal because the, the government could tax you for being alive, which that's coming next, I'm sure. So he wants to have a relationship with us tonight, and we have to let the Lord's characteristics steady our lives, and we have to let him have the preeminence. He expects us to know him and to love him and to let him direct us and let him provide for us. And I, I'll end with this illustration <laughs> It's, uh, in 2014, we went on a cruise to Cozumel, uh, my family of four, my mom with some other friends, and we went to Cozumel, and uh, it was only a, like an eight or nine hour excursion there. Um, so we got off the, the boat, went through the little store, and we got to our little excursion area. It was supposed to be a private beach. It was only private in the sense that the public couldn't get in there. I mean, everybody and their mama from the cruise was on, the, uh, on that beach as well. And so my mom went with Kaylee and Braden and had them at a different part of the beach. And Sarah and I were in the, uh, the crystal clear water. If you've ever been to Cozumel or any of those beaches, you know how pretty they are and how pretty the water is. I mean, so Sarah and I were looking for Nemo and mom had the kids. And so... Uh, I get out of the water, and I'm starting to walk towards the little tiki hut or whatever because I'm looking for something to drink. And then all of a sudden, I hear a scream, hollering. And right away, I knew who it was. It was Braden. 
He had been stung by, I don't know, probably 30 jellyfish. I don't know. If you've ever been stung by a jellyfish, it hurts. If you've been stung by multiple, it multiplies the, the hurt. And it's funny how math works. But Braden was screaming, scalding. Now, I didn't see him. There were like 100,000 kids in that little shallow. And by the way, we didn't just leave the kids and the beat. Mom had them. They were under control. They was roped off and they had guards. It was, it was well taken care of. We don't call CPS, okay? Um, but I didn't see Braden, but I heard him. Man, I heard him. He's not here tonight. He's about seven or eight. That, um, so I heard him, and just like the father and the prodigal son, I went running. Where you at? What's done happen? A shark get you? I had no clue at that point. So I went running towards Braden, and I saw him squalling. I saw the welts across his body. He had all across his legs, all across his back, his face, his head, everywhere. And he was inconsolable, tore up. And I knew that I had to spring into action. Now, I ain't going to tell you what all I thought about doing because some of those old wives' tales probably aren't valid. <laughs> and if you're laughing, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but fortunately, sorry about that, fortunately, we had uh, one of the guys who worked at the, at the resort saw what was going on, and he didn't speak a lick of English, and I didn't speak a lick of Spanish, so he just handed me a cup, and I, I smelled it right away. I was like, okay, that's vinegar, and I, was like, and I knew what I needed to do, right? I needed to apply the vinegar. Well, I did that, and Braden squalled even harder for about 15 seconds, and I mean, my heart's racing. I don't know if he's going to have an anaphylactic reaction to this. I don't know if he's, I don't know, something bad's about to happen to him. But listen, I heard my son, and I went running to him. Because I loved him, I went running to him. His, his angst got my direction oriented. I'm like, there he is amongst all the kids. He's running towards me. Now I see him. And then because I love him and because I knew who he was and because I gave him direct, come to me, son, I've got a cup of vinegar, I'm fixing to throw it all over you, I was able to provide for him. So I'm, I'm here to tell you tonight as we close that we have a heavenly father who knows us and he loves us and he definitely wants to direct our paths. And not only that, he adds something to it. He wants to provide for us. None of that we deserve. But God's grace is sufficient, and I'm so thankful for it. Let's have our head, heads bowed and eyes closed.